I'm going to invite Peter up now to come and share the word with us. And I'll just pray for you as you come up. Father, we thank you so much for Peter. We thank you for his love of scripture and his love of the word and his love for you. And we pray that all he has planned to say to us today would sink deep into our hearts and souls and give us the life and strength and courage we need for the coming week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. And as um, Anita has already mentioned, we're at the moment going through uh, this book, where, or rather we're going through the story of Scripture, using this book and its structure as a help to that. And we're looking at the big story of Scripture under the theme of all things new. And this morning we're looking at the theme of from slavery to the promised land. And really, as um, Aidan was mentioning a couple of weeks ago, the story of uh, the fall doesn't end with chapter 3 of Genesis, it goes on to chapter 11, really. And so we're taking up the theme from chapter 12 of Genesis all the way through to the book of Joshua, really, this morning. So that's a big amount of scripture, but nothing compared with what Chris will be tackling next week, going from there to complete the story of the Old Testament. In our first week, we were looking at how God, when he first created this world, made all things good. Indeed, they were very good. And we saw how men and women together were cre created in God's image that we might image God in his love and care and nurturing for the world which he had made. But then last week we saw how we have rebelled against God and we have been wanted to be gods to ourselves, to dominate this world. And don't we see that in our broken world today? What is happening in Ukraine today? It is the desire of men to dominate God's world rather than to care for God's world. And I said men there quite deliberately because I think it is the fault of men and women, but men in particular, to want to dominate God's world and dominate other people and bring all sorts of evil into our world. I often say, that, say to our daughters, we have daughters and not sons, I often say to them that the world would be a better place if women were in charge rather than men. And I think they agree with me. But we live in a broken world with all its cruelty, with all its hatred, with all its pain and its suffering, and ultimately death. But God is not content to leave this world in its broken and miserable condition. 
He plans to mend it and make all things new. And this is the structure we have seen from this book, All Things New. God's creation has been ruined through our human act of decreation, breaking it. But God purposes to make all things new, to recreate his world. And this morning we're looking at the theme from slavery to the promised land as part of God's act of recreation. How is God going to mend his broken world? Well, against the context of a broken world marked by division, hatred and violence, God chose one man. He chose Abraham through whom he was going to make a new beginning. And God promised to Abraham that he would give him many descendants, make of him a great nation. He promised to, that he would have his own land in which that nation could live. And that through Abraham and his descendants, all nations would be blessed. But as we come to the beginning of the book of Exodus, we see that God has created of Abraham and his descendants a great nation, but they are living in another land. They are living in the land of Egypt, and they have been enslaved, and they are suffering from dreadful cruelty. They know what it is to live in a broken world where someone else is making a god of himself and dominating them and instituting all manner of slavery and cruelty. But God raised up Moses from among the Israelites that through him God's people would be set free. And God told Moses to go to Pharaoh and demand from Pharaoh, in the name of Yahweh, the living God, let my people go, that they might worship me. And this is what Moses is to say to Pharaoh. This is what the Lord Yahweh says. Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go, that he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. Israel is God's firstborn son, the one in whom God has vested all his promises, the one through whom God purposes to bring blessing, my firstborn son. And he demands of Pharaoh, let my son go. But Pharaoh would not listen. And therefore God says, if you will not let my firstborn son go, I will destroy your firstborn and all the firstborn of Egypt. Despite the many warnings, Pharaoh would not let 
the Israelites go. And so God now will strike down Pharaoh's firstborn. And that is what happened. God told his people to prepare for that night when he would strike the firstborn. Each family was to take a lamb and to slay that lamb and to take from the blood of the lamb and paint it round the doorways of their household and to stay in those houses that night to eat that lamb. And on that night, God would come down in judgment upon Egypt. But when the angel of death saw the blood round the doorways of the household of the Israelites, the angel would pass over those houses. But every Egyptian household would suffer the death of the firstborn that night. And that broke the power of Egypt. And the Egyptians drove out the Israelites that night. They let them go free. And that's where we pick up the story in our reading this morning as we're going to read from Exodus chapter 13, verses 20 and 22, and then some verses from chapter 14. Have we got the reading there? Thank you. After leaving Succoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud, to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night, left its place in front of the people. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, What have we done? We've let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the king of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near pi Hacheroth, opposite Baal-Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than die in the desert. Moses answered the people, 
do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, will ne you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Then the angel of God, who had been travelling in front of, the Israel, uh, front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other, so neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at day daybreak the sea went back into its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and the horsemen. The entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the, Egyptian, the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. God freed his people from slavery by defeating the power of those who held them captive and redeeming them through the shed blood of the Lamb that kept them safe in the face of God's judgment. God redeemed his people from slavery in order that he might bring them to the land he had promised them 
a land that is described to them as a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a picture of paradise restored. But the people's first destination is Mount Sinai, where God will meet with them. For the Lord had told Moses, when you've brought these people out of Egypt, you, you plural, will worship God on this mountain. And so God brings his people to Mount Sinai to meet with him and worship him. And there they are recruited into the mission of God. On the day that the Israelites camp at the foot of Mount Sinai, the Lord calls Moses up the mountain to meet with him. And God says to him, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. God had rescued his people from cruel slavery and set them free that they might serve him. And he describes it in this beautiful picture. I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. God has done it by his own power and he's brought this, this people to meet with him, to be in his presence, to know him. But God's saving purpose for Israel does not mean that he has rejected the rest of the world. Quite the contrary. God says, all the earth is mine. He has saved and protected these people for the sake of the covenant he made with Abraham, a covenant in which he promised to bring blessing to all nations of the world. And the Israelites are called now to be a kingdom of priests, they are to be a people who stand, as it were, between God and the world. They are a people who will bring the world to God and bring God to the world. But they can only do this as they live in obedience with, to God and to his calling. And so God brings them to Mount Sinai that he may give them his law so that they may live in obedience to him. And the law reflects the holy character of God himself. And through obedience to the law, 
God's people whom he has redeemed and amongst whom he dwells will be a people who reflect God's own holy character. And that will enable them to be the envy of the world. For living with God amongst them, living in obedience to God, they will be a people who live in a different way from the broken world around them. The envy of others who will want to know how can we be like this people, living with God's presence amongst us, living according to a different set of, of values. God's people, rescued from slavery and oppression, living by God's world, in God's land, would be an anticipation of a world restored, of the day when the whole of creation would be made new. That's God's calling upon Israel. But will Israel live up to this calling? Well, you'll have to wait for next week's thrilling instalment to find out. But sadly, of course, we know how this story goes on. <coughs> we have the next slide, please. And so this calling comes to us as we immerse ourselves in the greatest story ever told, we find our ultimate sense of belonging, our purpose in the present, and our hope for the future. And that is because as we read, not this book, but this book, as we read this book, we find that this book tells the story of God's purpose for the world, a story that centres in the Lord Jesus Christ and a story which becomes our story as we are found in him. For we know that where Israel failed, the Lord Jesus Christ has triumphed. He has been perfectly obedient to the call of God upon his life. He is the firstborn, the firstborn over all creation. He is the one perfectly obedient to the Father's call. He is the seed or descendant of Abraham in whom all the promises of God are vested. He is the one through whom all nations shall be blessed. And this firstborn was not saved from the judgment of God like the firstborn of Israel. For he himself is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one who shed his blood to save us from the judgment we deserved. Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed. And he is the one who has broken the power of all that holds this world captive. For there at the cross, 
And through his resurrection, he has triumphed over all the powers of this world and all the powers of darkness. And he gives us victory over all that holds us captive. He has rescued us from slavery to sin and death. And through the waters, not of the Red Sea, but the waters of baptism, has brought us into the presence of the living God. He is the one who is with us, with us by his Spirit, and enables us to be a holy people and a priestly people. As Peter writes in his letter, writes mainly to those who were not Jews, who like us, he writes, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who's called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. God has chosen us in the Lord Jesus Christ, not because he has rejected the rest of the world, but precisely because of his great love for the whole world which he has created. And he has enlisted us to be a priestly people, who will bring God's blessing to all the nations of the world. Jesus, the light of the world, calls us to be a light to the world. He calls us as individual Christians and as churches, as the community of his people, to live the life of the new creation, that others may look at us and say, in the light of this broken world, we want to be like them. How do they live like this? We want to know the one who can make us new, who can make us like these people who know God. We are to be a transformed and transforming people. We know how often we fail to live up to that calling. But we need to live up to that calling. And this is the challenge I want to leave you with this morning. At the challenge for you today, you are a priestly people. I want to challenge you first of all to bring this broken world to God. To pray for this broken world. We have a high priest in glory who prays for this world and prays for us. But he calls us also to be a priestly people who bring this broken world to God. Pray for Ukraine. Pray for our broken world. Pray for those who are suffering. Pray for those who are seeking to dominate this world, to make gods of themselves. Bring this world to God. Be serious about it. You are called to be a priestly people, a people of prayer. And pray that we, along with other Christians, may reflect a different 
calling. Maybe a different people. A people who are distinctively different from the world around us and make others envious of ourselves. Make us want to know the God we know. In this book, All Things New, Pete Hughes reminds us of Gypsy Smith, who said, there are five Gospels. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then there's you. Many people won't read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but they will read you. They'll read your lives. And you are to show the world the power of Christ transforming life in your lives. A world made new. Show them the new creation in your lives. And pray for opportunities to shed the light of the Christ into, the, into other people's lives this week that they might know the love of God. How will you live out your priestly calling as those who in Christ bring the world to God and God to the world? How will you live it out this week? May God help us each one to live up to his call upon our lives for the sake of the world, which is broken and needs to know him.